the best things that have happened to me, like the most generous, beautiful, like, you know, career furthering, supportive things that have happened to me in our profession have been due to women. And then the worst as well have been due to women. I'm Harag Bartanyan, and this is the Art Movements podcast from Hyperallergic. This episode, I've invited editor and critic Seth Rodney into the studio. Hey, Seth. Hey, what's going on? So we're going to talk about an artist that a few weeks ago you came to me and you said, here, I saw this exhibition. I have a lot of questions, you know, and it didn't seem to lend itself to a traditional review, which is what you often do. So I suggested, why not try a podcast? Yeah, and it sounded to me like a good idea because, uh, frankly, I'm developing in some cases good relationships with artists whose work I've seen a lot and who I happen to genuinely like. And Zoe Buckman falls into this category. So I wanted to have a conversation with her about aspects of the show that I didn't think would kind of work well in a typical review format. I wanted to get more personal. I wanted to get go deeper into mm. the kind of motive, things that motivate her, um, not just about the show, but it's sort of throughout her life and practice. Right, that makes sense. So you first saw her work at, was it Project for Empty Space, or where was it? That's correct. Project for Empty Space, uh, a.k.a. Gateway Project Spaces in New Jersey. She had a show called, I think, Imprison Her Soft Hand. And what I lo really liked about that show was that she used, and this was a sort of when she began using the boxing gloves a lot more. Mm -hmm. She hung them together in these sorts of, almost like a bouquet, like a, a, an upside down bouquet of flowers. And, and the work that I initially saw at Gateway Project Spaces consisted of these bouquet of boxing gloves, mostly in white, but with uh, also with sort of off-white and beige linens thrown in. And what they made me think of was how in any kind of romantic situation, any sort of romantic relationship where the partners are essentially uh, together for a while, there's always this kind of like martial aspect to that, right? There's always right. a kind of struggle, a kind of fight, emotionally, sexually, intellectually. Right. Like, the best relationships do consist of kind of useful friction. And I felt like she was bringing these kinds of things that rarely get talked about to the surface. And that made me really intrigued by her work. That's a, that's a really beautiful sort of introduction. Now, how would you describe Zoe Buckman's work to people in general who may not know her work? I mean, unfortunately, she's sometimes overshadowed by her famous relationship, right. you know, and so celebrity is definitely something that sort of factors in into her work. But what is it that sort of stands out for you? I think, first of all, I have to say that I think her, her work is evolving. I think that where she was, say, five years ago is very different from where she is now. What she's doing, I think, is moving towards a place where she's using kind of quotidian symbols like uh, table linens and ceramic cups and saucers to meld together these larger statements or questions about femininity about what it is to be a woman in the world, about the adjacent issues of power and mm -hmm. agency with her own history as a woman brought up by a woman and in an art space where she's constantly interacting with issues of power around other women, curators, 
artists, writers, etc. That's a beautiful summary. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I love how you called them bouquets because I do think she seems to bring sort of an intimacy to the work. And so those sort of like relationships in the, is something that she she definitely, I think, works on. And, you know, it's easy to see her work as part of a tradition, whether it's like Tracy Amin or like Jeffrey Gibson. Or Evie Day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Because there's a lot of these sort of like interest in surfaces and resurfacing them and sort of like making them a little richer in right. meaning, right. particularly with words. And she seems to come out of that tradition. That's right. That's Do would right. you characterize? it that way? I think so. I think that what she does a lot of repurposing of objects, right? Mm. She takes them and puts them in a sort of highly aestheticized, but also keenly thought out, well, what's the word? Combinations, juxtapositions. She's, she's rethinking how these objects that show up in a particular way in our regular lives might look in, an, in a highly aestheticized setting and then might resonate differently in that setting. That's a good point. Now, the question of celebrity and an artist like Zoe Buckman, do you want to have, have a few comments about that? Yeah, well, I mean, what I wanted to get at when talking with Zoe about the issue is how in some ways I think it stymies her work. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't want to put that word in her mouth, but when I, the sort of concerned observer, look at her evolving practice, I, I think to myself, and I, and I think about this in terms of the, especially the, the spread that they had of her work in Harper's Bazaar. And that was pretty recent. Yes. I think, wow, that can't really put your work in the kind of light that you would want. And I imagine that having talked with Zoe, I know this for a fact, that she wants real critical engagement. She wants to think deeply about things and she wants people to respond to her work by thinking deeply. And you know, Harper's <laughs> Bazaar ain't it. Like, right. They're right, not about right. depth. Right, exactly. And I mean, we won't mention the name who she was married to. People can Google that themselves. But being married to a famous Hollywood celebrity, essentially, I mean, it's going to overshadow, you know, I, I think regardless of who you are or how talented you are, I think this is sort of a problem that happens throughout. You know, at the same time, though, I think celebrity is something that she seems to be using in a pretty positive way. I mean, she's raising awareness about sexual violence and other things. So, you know, as much as, you know, sometimes we can poo-poo celebrity, I think the way people use it is also really important. So would you say that she's sort of using it in a way that's constructive? I think Zoe's in a moment of figuring things out. I mean, I think that she's not overwhelmed by her celebrity, but she also is still learning how to wield it in a way where it furthers her her artistic aims. I think, and I think that's, that's also kind of a constant negotiation. I mean, it's sort of like the log rolling contest when you're on the log and you're trying to keep your balance. The log doesn't really ever stop rolling. Right. You just got to keep rebalancing yourself on top of it. That makes sense. So I guess we're going to jump right into the interview at the part where you talk a little bit about the issue of celebrity and how she grapples with that. Great. Yeah, it does. I am aware of it. It does bother me. Five years ago when I first started showing my work, there wasn't anything that was written about me that didn't mention my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time. And that was really frustrating and disappointing to me. And I, I realised that people do like and need context. We all do. You know, that's why it's female artists, artists of African descent, you know, queer artists, people live for these 
signifiers and identifiers. And that's just sort of where we're at right now. But that was, that was something that I personally was like, I will transcend this. It's going to take me some time and I'm going to work really, really fucking hard. But I will, I, will get, I will get to a point where I walk in a room and I'm known for me. And I'll be taken seriously. It's just going to take some time. And so I feel like I've tried to be really careful with my quotes unquote image in the past five years. Doing shows with really good galleries and institutions. But just mainly what I've come to realise is that my job is to make my work as strong as possible and yes I can try and control my image here and there it was a learning experience with Harper's Bazaar it's not necessarily something that I would repeat or if I was going to do a collaboration with some big magazine like that I would demand more autonomy over the written article which of course I asked for and was told all about the tone that it would be and then it comes out and you're like okay that's 90% a photo with a little bit of text on the side so, you know, I've learned that I will be taking more ownership and power in those situations. But more than anything, I don't want to get derailed with stressing about image and optics because I, not to the point where that actually gets in the way of my making my work. That to me is the most important thing. And that's what will prevail. Essentially being in control of your career, being able to make choices about sort of how you're represented are really crucial to artists especially given the fact that for contemporary artists, a lot of what you do is, in order to get eyes on your work, is work these social media platforms and these, what do you call it, legacy sort of publications, print publications like Harper's Bazaar. So thinking about that not being the best experience for you, what would be a good experience for you? Like, what do you want in terms mm. of critical reception for your work? I mean, I, want, I, I strive for the top. <laughs> I want the best of the best. I really appreciate there are publications that obviously I revere massively. But also not just thinking about publications, but also like sort of ways to talk around your work. So are you interested, for example, in doing panels? Are you interested mm. in being invited to be a respondent in um, certain kinds of symposia? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that to me is really... That is such an important and fruitful part of my art practice, honestly. And I really, I derive so much fulfillment from programming such as panels, podcasts, discussions, talks, lectures. I put a lot into it, so I can't pack my month with like four lectures or so. Because what ends up happening typically is that we do a Q&A and then afterwards... I end up having a lot of women coming up and talking to me about their experiences and I want to hold space for that and I'm, and I'm learning how to do that in a way that isn't taxing of, to my mental health. Because and it's so, a lot. Because it's a lot. lot. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot because I think my work can be quite triggering in nature and, you know, I'm not, I like to think of myself as quite generous. And so I'm not someone who will like come and drop some triggering work and dust out. Like, I don't think that that's kind. So I will stay and I will talk to these women. And that can end up being, you know, another hour. And that, you know, there's that's time that I could be with my daughter or making other work. So I keep the panels and discussions quite specific, but I'm really, it's really important to me. And, and, I, and I do get a lot out of it, yeah. So what do you think are the aspects of your work that are triggering for people? I think that 
The text work in particular is very, it's triggering because it's specific. The fabrics that I use are also very specific and therefore quite can bring up quite a lot of nostalgia. So when someone's looking at a sculpture that's using these vintage used dishcloths, they and, might... And, and tea towels. And tea towels, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That might take them right back to their mum's kitchen, their grandmother's house. And those can be quite trauma-laden environment. And then the text that I've been embroidering has been pertaining to bleeding, bruising, having one's power taken away from them, heartbreak. So kinds Just of... Just really vi- light, really light jolly themes so kinds of violence kinds of violence exactly yeah so for readers of hyperallergic zoe buckman isn't going to be such a stranger because back in september nicole miller writing for the weekend wrote a pretty you know extensive interesting piece about zoe's work now how would you characterize that piece i thought that nicole got at some aspects of the work that could be taken as controversial, i.e. the way that Zoe's work might be read as not making space, complete space for trans individuals. And then I think in other ways, the piece didn't discuss the work, in, at least as in the way that I would have liked to see, to have seen the work discussed. There just wasn't as much about how the work resonates possibly with mm. a viewer, like what meanings come out of that. But then When I write, then I'm all about meaning. So I'm going to read a little bit of Nicole Miller's piece, because I think it's really interesting how she blends some of the personal into the, and I think Zoe Buckman's work lend itself to that, some of the personal. So I'm just going to read a little bit of the introduction to her piece, as well as a little segment that segues then to the conversation you have. So it begins, I once bled on the sheets of a man I hardly knew. Because he was put out, and I was ashamed, and for spite, I ordered a set of replacement sheets that cost half my monthly rent and had it delivered to his home. There's an intimacy between our linens and our blood and the sources of wounding or shame. Zoe Buckman's exhibition Heavy Rag at Fort Gonzavort features vintage tea towels embroidered with text that reads like confessional poetry. One, stitched with black thread on a crisp white background, channels the voice of the guy I once dated. His eyes narrowed before. No Tampax or nothing, yeah? Just gonna bleed on my sheets and get back in? Another signals bravado in the presence of pain. I told him I could get blood out of anything. In the press release, Buckman describes this body of work, which includes sculptural assemblages and ceramics as representing the intergenerational experience of women. The exhibition embraces the domestic archetype by balancing an ambiguity between vulnerability and strength. And then I'm going to jump forward a little. The voices present in heavy rag echo recent efforts by women to make visible male supremacy. However, conversations and stories of male aggression circulated online often center on the vulnerability of women. Yeah, and I think that... um What Nicole is getting at is a question that I wanted to pose to Zoe, which is what are the other ways that women can get together with women besides the issue of vulnerability? 
I love that question. Yeah. yeah, I love that question because I think that that's such a part of the work. It's not just the solidarity that I'm creating with those pieces. I'm using beauty specifically. Like, I'm not making an ugly sculpture about violence. We know that violence is ugly. I'm trying to start nuanced conversations. So I'm using aesthetic, tactile qualities and beauty because what I'm trying to talk about is the complexities of the female experience. So yes, the violence, the pain, the being fucked over, but also how what is natural to us or what one of the privileges of identifying as a woman is the capacity to soften and to nurture and to be creative or spiritual. Mm. The large clusters of gloves where you have all of these different gloves all kind of bound together mm. and they're all using, they're all made with different fabrics, mm. right? Mm. I'm talking about how we're united in our experiences for better or for worse, the good ones and the bad ones. And a lot of that work came out of my experience of um, going through divorce, uh, my mother passing, heartbreak trauma, these transitions where it's really been the women around me that have come together and, and lifted me up. So I hope that the work is exploring these fantastic privileges and qualities that come along with our experience as well as the difficult ones. Right. So that does sound nuanced to me. I mean, what you're talking about is not just women sort of being, you're not talking about women being the victims of violence, but you're also talking about women being, and in some ways, kind of alchemists in that mm. they're able to soften things, to quote you, they're able to nurture people, mm -hmm. they're able to hold space for what you've called spiritual activity. Uh -huh. Where as a woman do you learn these things? Is this is this mm. natural linear? Did you get these kinds of tools from your mother? Or does it or do in some ways men in your life also participate in giving you those kinds of tools? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think like most things, it's a combination of nature and nurture. I think we are very much we do become as we get older the company that we keep. And so a lot of my, I guess, more quotes, unquote, feminine qualities also come from my community. And those include men. And, you know, I'm part of a spiritual practice and community. I'm part of a boxing community and an art one as well. And so I think that we, we just constantly learn how to be in this world and how we want to be in this world. But you're, but you're also learning, you're saying, from your friends and your colleagues as well as from... Yeah, you know, and the family you, you choose, right right? right? right. I think also to your point about this nuanced conversation about violence is that, and not to like pile too much in, but there are environments where we can choose to enter into some consensual violence, um, like sparring, or like domination and submission, which is also part of the work. Mm. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that... I was just going to suggest, and I don't mean to put words in no, your mouth, but it just occurred to me that you're saying that violence does not equal victimization. That Thank you. Oh, I love that. Okay. I'm going to write that down later. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you're saying that there are ways in which ritualized violence can be kind of... Well, ritualized 
ways of being violent mm-hmm. to each other can actually be consensual and can actually work some stuff out. Exactly. That's fantastic. I mean, it can be hugely beneficial to working through certain traumas. Like for me, the boxing gym and sparring was a huge part of my development in holding space, in working through physical traumas that I survived in my teenage years. And putting myself in a ring and touching gloves with someone and entering into this contract of like, we're going to be okay, right? Like, We're going to shock our bodies into thinking that we're going to die, but we know we're not going to die. And hopefully there's that mutual respect. And when there is that mutual respect, you can play. Similarly, in the bedroom, when there is that mutual respect, you can play. Yeah. This is true. I mean, and then one of the, I think one of the aspects sort of of human sexuality is that kind of, I'm hesitant to use the word violence, but it's a kind of ritualized domination and submission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. That definitely happens. Seth, one of the interesting things about this, a vulnerability in relationships is really something both of you talked a lot about. And I mean, talk about the most complicated aspect of our lives, you know, and so, but you see that as a big part of what Buckman's work is. Yeah, I mean, when I think of the best relationships I've had, they're ones in which we actually, no, actually, I want to go back and think about the small amount of acting training I had when I was an undergrad. I, there, was a, there was a particular book, I think it was written by Michael Shirtliff, something like getting into a scene or how to improv a scene or something like that. And I remember the advice being something along the lines of, when you are in a scene, you have to find out what the character is fighting for. Right. In relationships, we are always fighting for something. We're fighting to be heard. We're fighting to be recognized. We're fighting to be loved. We're fighting to be respected. We're fighting to let the other person love us the way we can. Like, we're always fighting for something. And I think that Zoe, like, gets at that. I think in a really intuitive, surprising way. Right. And so what is it about the work at Fort Gonsevoort? I mean, you had a very specific reading of that when we were having this conversation. In terms like it felt like it was more than just work. It felt like almost some sort of identity emerging. Well, perhaps. I mean, I, I do think that as much as I support Zoe and I want to see her flourish, I feel like she was that show is a, is a moment when she's still kind of trying to find her way in terms of the ceramic stuff. I think that that for me was a little bit of a disconnect between the ceramics and the the heavy bags and the the gloves. I think that they felt like they were on slightly two different tracks, Mm. whereas the heavy bags and gloves really, as I said before, get at in these sort of unexpected ways, the intertwined nature of intimacy and struggle. Mm. So... And I think you, in our conversation, you mentioned the world heraldic. Yes. I, I love the idea of like, and I don't know if this is something that Zoe is going to take and run with, um, uh, or she's, whether she's going to take this idea and run with it. But I love the idea of like, thinking about her as having a kind of heraldic sign on her station wheel, on her shield. Like she would be the house of the boxing gloves, right? Mm. And I, I think that could become her like, Sigil. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So let's continue with the interview. I think it's the sign of my house. I think it's if you had to sum me up, then you would hopefully talk about 
this complexity between the masculine and the feminine or the hard and the soft. And so, yeah, it does feel... I feel like they are me in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I read this thing a long time ago. I think it was Teddy Atlas who said this. And Teddy Atlas was famous boxing trainer. I think, I want to say like he trained Mike Tyson. Oh. I, I, I maybe, I think, I think he did. One of the things he, he said about being in a boxing ring with another fighter is that, and he says that he sees this as someone who watches a lot of fights, that there are times when the boxers kind of make this, and this is kind of the opposite of what you just suggested. Mm. But they, they, the boxers make this sort of tacit agreement between them that they're just going to kind of not hurt each other, that they're just going to kind of hold each other up and like dance around the ring a bit, but they're not going to really hurt each other because they're both afraid. Mm-hmm. And you seem to be saying the opposite. Like you're saying that, look, I make an agreement to go in and we are going to work some stuff out. We are going to really spar, but we're not going to hurt each other too much. Do you think that that's a useful metaphor for marriage? Oh, <laughs> I was not expecting you to go there with that question. So. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Is or romantic that... re- relationships in general between men and women. Yeah. I should say that. Heterosexual pairings. We're going to enter into this thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to like... Give it our all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're not going to hurt each other. But we're not going to hurt each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a beautiful metaphor. Mm. I like it. Good. good. Mm. So one of the things that I wanted to also talk about, you said in Elle magazine, in a discussion around, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, I think it was by the writer Ferran Krenzel. You said one thing to remember is that human beings connect through vulnerability. Mm. That's our core way of connecting. When a baby cries, your human impulse is to run towards the baby. Our consciousness wants to connect through struggle and even pain. So in a funny sort of way, vulnerability is attractive. It's also a good barometer. It makes me wonder, what kind of man are you? If you're turned off by my experiences, step aside. Because really, you should be impressed by women. Mm. We had shit happen, and we still got up. We still look great. We still are great. <laughs> if you get to be in our lives after all that, you should be honored. So, oh, yeah, I remember that now that you say it, I remember. So, sorry, I was no, no, asking no, no, a question. No, no. So, that was um, so I, I, I did this phone interview with this writer, and mm-hmm. um, I don't want to because you, cause you've mentioned her name. I, well, she basically said to me, mm-hmm. So, Zoe, given that you've been through a sexual trauma or maybe more than one sexual traumas, how do you feel about sharing that with? the men that you are then, you know, in a relationship with, or the mm-hmm. man that you're in a relationship mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And she asked me that because she was concerned that that is a turn-off. Mm. Um, and so my answer to her was about that, was about how um, if someone is turned off by what I've been through, I ain't got time for them. Yeah, it's. I think you can measure a person by how they've responded to challenges in their life and difficulties and disappointments and being completely screwed over, being abandoned, being hurt emotionally, sexually, physically, and how they get back up from that and how they struggle to not be closed or jaded or, you know, I think that you can really measure a person by how they respond to difficulty. 
So the thing about this conversation that I think is also quite incredible is the fact that she's also part of this emerging movement of people talking about sexual violence and abuse and all these things, you know? And unfortunately, I count myself among them as people who have had these sort of tragic histories in our past. But at the same time, we find it as a way to sort of re-energize our work in the, in the present and in different ways. Now, how would you characterize it? How, how is she approaching these topics? Well, I think of her work in terms of the other women I know in the contemporary art scene who've done really strong work in this area. People like Gada Mare come to mind. And what is parallel for me is that they both use materials in a way that make the work sensual. Like you mm. want to reach out and touch it. In Zoe's case, the work is very, the work is typically touched. I mean, mm. we often fold and, and place tea towels in order to use them. And boxing gloves are very much these objects that are put on our hands or touched by other people's hands, uh, uh, end up hitting flesh, which is what they're designed right. to do. Right. So she, I think, really slots into a tradition of Again, the use of this sort of quotidian object, but made made sort of strange mm -hmm. in an aesthetic way. Right. That makes sense. And then I love how you talked about relationships being about power. Though, you know, you focus on heterosexual relationships, but I don't think it's that different in same-sex relationships. No, in fact, you know? <laughs> in, in my head, I, I was thinking of all relationships. I mean, it may have, yeah, it may have come out of my mouth sounding like I was um, only talking about heterosexual pairings. But no, I, I think, think you're being careful, to be you, quite honest. Yeah, but I mean, I think in all relationships, like power is an issue because part of the way that we're wired as human beings is like that's how we play like that's right right like we're not just these sort of uh, we're not these creatures that just exercise power in order to get something sometimes we're just playing and i love the part that you said it's not just about playing as well it's also how to work things out sometimes mm. do you know so it becomes a, a very much a tool mm -hmm. that we use in relationships mm -hmm. to work out these different dynamics mm -hmm. and histories sometimes mm -hmm. and figuring out ways forward right, which because, i thought was really important right because sometimes we don't even know what's inside us and it bubbles up in within the context of a relationship That's and right. then you like see yourself and you're like oh shit that's right, that was there. I didn't know. I mean, you shared what you shared just a second ago about your own history of abuse, and I've said this out loud on our own podcast, that I too went through that as a child. So I know that that's changed mm -hmm. the ways that I express affection and, what, and the kinds of ex affection I expect from people, mm -hmm. and it skews the ways that I have for understanding love. And since you mentioned your podcast, do you mind, why don't you plug it a little for people who may be interested in hearing more Seth Rodney? Okay, cool. So we have a podcast called The American Age. It's produced actually by Travis Webb. Um, Stephen Fullwood and I are the weekly guests and we work through a topic basically over the course of several episodes. We just did our 100th episode like a week ago. and I Congratulations. Think, thank you. And the last topic we had broached was <laughs> comedy. So we each trotted out our favorite sketches and we talked about why we thought they were funny. So hopefully people will check out The American Age as right. well. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. 
So in terms of your being in the art scene and being, well, let's call you an up-and-coming artist if that's okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's great. Thank um, you. The kinds of interactions that you will encounter in the scene, a scene that is, I think most people in it would agree, is rife with sexism and mm. sexual exploitation. So this happens a lot. Yes. At all levels of the scene. Drawing on what you've just said about being both sort of being both vulnerable and strong and being really self-aware that you bring these things to the table in your work, do you find that maybe not just men, like men and women, like when in negotiating your way to through the scene, do you find that people are more or less prepared to treat you as a full human being, you know, given the nature of your work. I mean, basically, I'm asking if you encounter sexism and whether that, a lot, and whether that sort of, you see that as sort of being, um, I don't know, in some ways, like, how you, I guess the question is how your work sort of plays into that, like, to, mm. into the whole sort of problem of, of sexism and sexual exploitation. Mm. I mean, because some, I'm thinking now of another artist who said, whose work, I think it was Marilyn Minter who said this, that when she was younger especially, that because her work was so sort of sexually open and explorative, that men just kind of assumed that they would, that she'd Fair be again. up for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the answer is actually no for me because I don't know if it's because my work, at least lately, has been kind of calling people out or that there is an emphasis of accountability male accountability within my work which is why for example when you entered the gallery but also when you left that's where we hung inaction is apathy is collusion is violence because mm -hmm. that was the piece that was really about like well what now like now mm -hmm. that you've seen all of these different experiences from different women including the artist herself what are you going to do about it and so I don't know if my focus on accountability and also like potentially oversharing has turned men off of trying to fuck with me. Mm. But generally speaking, I don't really get men trying to fuck with me. Mm. And interestingly enough, if I thought about times where I've been taken advantage of in mm. the art world, mm. it's actually been at the hands of women. So the best things that have happened to me, like the most generous, beautiful, like you know, career furthering supportive things that have happened to me in our profession have been due to women. And then the worst as well have been due to women. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Surprising. And it, yeah, it is, it is. But then also, you know, this, I want to say phenomenon for want of a better word, but of women tearing each other down mm. is so real. Mm. And it's very much, I think, a product of patriarchy. Mm. And it, it comes about because we are socialized to believe that there's not enough out there for this all is, of the women. This is a zero-sum game. Right, exactly, right. exactly. Right. You take up more oxygen, someone right. loses out. Exactly, so if she's getting this shine, if she's getting this um, grant or great piece of press, an amazing show or whatever, mm. she's taking that away from me. Mm. And so I'm going to like subtly or overtly dump on her. Mm. And, um, you know, it's something that we need to examine as women and it's also something we also need to recognize why it exists and where it came from. It is fascinating to me, this topic. Yeah, that is great. I mean, I, I think that we've delved into some really important and weighty subject matter, unlike the Harper's Bazaar photo 
opportunity. Um, <laughs> right. I do want to ask you one last question, yes. which is, and I know that this is a question that you will always get, and I I hesitate to ask it, but I, I feel I must. You've just got this board games for sure done. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about mm. making now? Yeah, that is a great question. So this is the first time that I've done a solo show and I feel really great about it and I feel like I'm not done. So typically what's happened is I've like, you know, birthed a show and been like, I don't want to fucking look at that work. I never want, I don't, I don't ever want to make anything attached to that topic. I am so done with it. I feel sick looking at it. Right now, this I feel like I'm only just beginning, honestly. And the topics of, you know, grief and power and heartbreak, unfortunately, these are not things that even in my life I'm done having fresh experiences of. So at least for how the work is autobiographical, I have more to add. So this is just the beginning. Nice, nice. And we can end there. Thank you, Zoe Buckman. Thanks to Twig Twig for providing the music for this week's episode. I'm Hudag Vartanian, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening and enjoy your week. <laughs>